I'm Michael McMullen. Welcome once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast, where my guest this week is one of the very, very small Australian contingent on tour. It's Ryan Thomerson. Ryan, welcome along. Thank you. You're from a town called Montrose, so tell us what sort of a place that is. Just a like a smallish town uh, in the Yarra Valley in Melbourne. Um, it's not too much there, but it's kind of like a drive-through from other bigger kind of towns along the way, um, which is a lot busier now, but... Uh, it used to be a lot quieter when I was kind of full-time living there. We know Australia has a big snooker heritage and still has one of the very best players in the world, but it doesn't have the same profile there that it does, say, in the UK or in other countries. So how did you first become aware of the game? Uh, before I moved to Australia when I was 11, my dad used to play when he was a lot younger as well. Um, and he kind of took me up to the snooker hall he used to play up in, in London, in Holloway. Um, oh, so you were originally from the UK then? Yeah, yeah, I was born here and then moved to Australia when I was 11, and that was in 2005. Um, but I used to, like, once every, I don't know, once every month, we used to go up to London and just go in my dad's friend's snooker hall and kind of just hit a few balls, but I never really took anything, any notice, really, from it. And, uh, yeah, then we moved to Australia, and that's when kind of I didn't pick up the motocross that I was doing here, and I picked up snooker instead. Um, just going to like the local pool hall that we had. They had like three snooker tables um, and loads of pool tables and I've played there since I was, yeah, like 11, almost 12. And why did the family move to Oz? We was living in South London and just, I think my dad, my dad had my, um, his sister in Australia and we'd been there a few times just to see what it was like and he really wanted to move. I think it's just for a better lifestyle in in that kind of way um and yeah i mean i don't ever regret it um and i love it there anyway so and you mentioned motocross there that you were involved in that yeah i did that when i was i think i got like my first like electric bike when i was like four i used to ride it around the garden and then uh i started racing when i was six um i got to like i like i doing the british championships at the main like british tracks and um i was doing well at that um but Obviously, moving to Australia, it's a big kind of commitment doing motocross because we had like a caravan, uh, like motorhome, and we used to go to the events. I used to race every week, like every second weekend. I used to be practicing every week. So I was kind of like non-stop doing that. And it's just the cost of doing that in Australia is just huge. So we kind of thought that snooker was a bit of a cheaper option. Mm. It does, though, bring the issue of there aren't that many top-level players in Australia and they're probably a bit spread out geographically. So was there a problem finding a good standard of opposition to play against and improve your game? Uh, um, well, obviously, I had my dad, who was still playing mm. like a little bit, but he picked up the game again when I went to Australia. So having him to practice with was kind of like the only one at the start. Um, but I think when I first started playing in Australia, the kind of players, there was more, more kind of better players then because it was obviously 17 years ago Mm. so now there's not as many players playing um, and obviously there's still the same players are playing from when I first started there but like you said there is kind of there's like a handful in like Perth Mm. there's a handful in Queensland there's a handful in like Sydney like there is a good standard of play um, but obviously it's kind of dwindled a little bit during like now because of COVID like that's definitely kind of uh dwindled the number of players that are playing there now so at what stage of everything Ryan did you start to feel okay this is something I'm pretty good at and there could be a career in the offing here um well I, 
I kind of used to play like a lot of league snooker and a lot of junior um, championships in Australia. Um, and then I think kind of when I got to like year 10 in school, when I didn't really want to be there anymore, I kind of stopped and I said like to my dad that I was, who I was living with, uh, I said, I just want to play snooker. And that was kind of when I took it a little bit more seriously, but not, I never really thought that I wanted to go pro properly until I was like 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Just feeling obviously not winning tournaments in Australia, like men's tournaments until I was kind of 21. I didn't feel as if I was kind of ready. Um, so I used to come here when I was 17 on and off, just living with Neil um, for two to four months at a time. Um, and then kind of when I started winning tournaments when I was 20, 21, that's when I thought maybe it's like time to maybe move over a bit more permanently, which is what I did. And I think it's took me, it took me four years to get on tour from living there full time um, and traveling back to Australia once a year for the Oceania Asia Pacific tournament. Well, this was the tournament you won. Yes. That got you onto the yeah, tour last, last year. year. Yeah. So, what was the standard like? How well did you have to play to win it? Um, to be honest, every time I've been back to Australia, I've always put a lot of pressure on myself to win that tournament because that's the only thing I've gone for. Um, and this time, like, this was the first year where they've opened it up to players. Like Asia Pacific instead of just Oceania, mm. they opened it up to players in Hong Kong, Malaysia. There was a couple of Indian players there. Um, Andy Lee was there and um, another Hong Kong player. So he was probably the next, like the the person to beat really. Um, other than obviously the top Australian guys, who with the conditions, anyone can kind of win that tournament because of it's just who adapts better, who can play well on a day. Um, and for me, I played the best I've probably played in a long time at that event. I think I made I made three centuries and I had like a huge break board. So I think there was only about a handful of frames. Other than the final, I didn't really make any breaks. But other than that, I made like centuries and like big breaks to win. Um, and I had a great match with Andy Lee in the quarters. I won that 4-3, but I had like a century in that match. I had like another two breaks over 50. He had a couple of breaks over 70. So it was a really good match. It was a good standard. Snooker fans around the world look at something like that, Ryan, and see just another player earning their place on the tour. But for you, it's absolutely massive. And it's the fulfilment of a lifelong dream to become a professional snooker player. So what was that like when you'd finally achieved it? Yeah, I think it was a bit surreal. And it took like, I, I mean, I came back to England um, about three days later after I'd won it. Um, and yeah, it just kind of took a while to sink in um but yeah I mean it was huge like I was so happy to win finally and it was nice to come home on the 25 26 hour journey on the plane knowing that I'd won instead of like the last the four years before that I'd come back losing in like the last 16 or I lost in the uh, the semi-finals 5-3 the year before COVID hit so obviously that was a big hit to take and then there was no tournament to win so I was just so relieved more really that was coming here and I could be here full-time playing on the tour and a lot of players want that so much that when they get their card whether it's through Q school or anything else they subconsciously feel the job is done and the dream has come true and now everything else will just follow so it's important not to fall into that trap and yeah realize the work's only just starting in a way yeah to be honest I think I fell into that at the start myself um and maybe that's kind of come across in the results I had at the first half of the season but kind of in the last like couple of months just putting myself in a better place uh mentally and just at home and stuff I feel as if I've kind of like 
found like what I need to do, knowing what I need to do, what ways in practice I need to be practicing. Um, and I feel as if it's kind of helping my game, which is good. Um, and nice to see some results now. A lot of players, when they start out on the circuit, are a bit surprised, a bit taken aback, not so much by the standard, because they know how good that is, but by how hard it is to win matches. And you're coming up against guys who've been experienced match players for years and years, and it becomes a little bit of a shock to a lot of players. Was it a bit like that for you? Yeah, well, I was because of growing up and playing with Neil and Joe kind of like full-time, um, I thought that when I got on tour eventually that I'd kind of... I don't know, adapt a bit better than what I did. Um, but I feel as if in my first, like, kind of few tournaments, I kind of didn't realise the conditions and adapting to the conditions and just how hard it is to win. Um, until you're on tour and you're in that situation, in the matches, you don't realise how actual hard it is um, than watching just on TV, which is exactly what happened to me. And looking at some of your early matches, I know one of your very first was a Northern Ireland Open qualifier against Sam Craigie, and this was for the big prize of playing Selby, potentially, in the final stages. It was so close in that one. It must have been heartbreaking to miss out. Yeah, that was that was obviously before this guaranteed 20,000 yeah. season as well. So my girlfriend was there at the time um, watching my matches before this kind of guaranteed money. So it was like all this pressure of like yeah. this. I've, I mean, I've played for... Like quite like a decent sum like in Australian tournaments but like when it's your career and you're playing full time that match like I kind of just felt as if I threw it away in a way just like I was always ahead I was like 1-0 up 1-0 2-1 up and then there was a black ball respot and I lost that at 2-1 and it made it 2-all and I just felt as if I just couldn't get over the line and I just yeah I just struggled I think just with all the pressure of the money and at the time I just it was just a lot. So it was a shame to lose it because obviously I was thinking about playing Selby on mm. table one in Belfast, which is like, I've been there with Neil uh, to the tournament before and it's just huge, that tournament. So it was a big shame, but they're the kind of defeats that kind of help you along the way as well. So hopefully that has helped me, help my game and I can just obviously have improved from there really one of the best results you've had was in German qualifying when you played Dylan Emery very highly rated young player a real slog but you beat him by five frames to one so ultimately yeah. getting that result whatever way you get it big boost yeah that was um, I hadn't been very well before that match I was, I was in and out of hospital for about two to three weeks just not feeling well and then I've had like I had a few days practice before there just with uh, Joe and I kind of went there with kind of less pressure. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was just like you said, a big slog. I had I had 30s and then kind of playing safe. And that was all that it really was. I don't even, I can't remember if I made a break over 50 in that match. I don't think I did. Um, yeah, I mean, Dylan struggled as well. Um, but they're the sort of matches, if you can kind of get over the line with your B game, then obviously you've got something there to um, fall back on. And that, I had to fall back on something because that was the only way that got me over the line. Ronnie O'Sullivan, of all people, said to me 20 years ago, it's about how good your worst is. Have you found that maybe at times? that uh, It's not yes. always about the great performances? Yeah, no, that's right. You can't... No one can win matches all the time by making big breaks. Like, you see that with the big boys as well, like when they're playing their... Like, the last... Like, the final matches or whatever. Not everyone can make breaks. So, it's just when you're not making breaks, what you can do then. Like, it, otherwise, if you haven't got a B game, you're... No one can play their A game. 
100% of the time. You've been referring there to Neil and Joe. That's obviously Robertson and Perry. And we'll yeah. talk about that connection in a moment. But it turned out it was Joe you then played in the next round for a place in Berlin. He beat you 5-1. And people would look at that and say, well, it was a reality check for the young man. Was that how you felt about it? Uh, it was very hard to play him because I'd been like, kind of playing with him and um, really like working with him uh, for quite a, like a, a decent chunk before that tournament. Um and I just found it tough to kind of, yeah, just play. Like, they're the sort of, like, games where, because it was the first time it had happened, um, I just, yeah, just kind of struggled with the nerves and playing under those kind of conditions with just who it was and kind of let that override the whole thing, really, because I did, I, I was really hoping for a good result and play well in the second round because, obviously, beating Dylan was, it was a good win and then coming to Joe... Yeah, I just, I just struggled with nerves and that got the better of me, really. But nothing is wasted, is it, Ryan? Because you can learn from that now and the next time you play someone like Joe, you can not make the same mistakes yeah. in terms of your attitude. Yeah, to be honest, I think anyone other than Joe, I might have played a lot better, but mm. I think I just struggled because of who it was. And hopefully next time if I do play Neil or Joe in a tournament, it'll be... Well, it'll be like a lot better than what it was because if I would have beaten Joe, I would have played Neil. Mm. So it was... Uh, yeah, I mean, it would have been a, a bit funny, but uh, yeah. And just to wrap up on that experience at the German qualifiers, you mentioned there you'd been unwell leading up to it. So was it anything major? Uh, no, nothing major. Just kind of dizziness and headaches for three to four weeks nonstop and couldn't really practice and just struggling and just wondering what it was. Uh, but I had scans and everything, so they didn't find anything, and it kind of just went after about four weeks. But obviously that... I mean, I was a bit worried just at first, but luckily it was just nothing. Well, that's good. Let's move to the quick fire round. Favourite movie? Laura Biden, Citizen. Favourite song? Oh, song. Wow. Lewis Capaldi, Pointless. Favourite Australian sports star? Not including Neil. Did you follow the Australian sports much? Uh, The cricket, I did. Yeah, so who would be your, your idols there? I mean, like Peter Gilchrist is probably one that was a big one. Not to be confused with the billiards player, no. Peter Gilchrist. No, no, <laughs> the, the cricketer, the wicketkeeper. Yeah. The best place you've ever been on holiday or even to play in a tournament? Uh, Egypt. And the best thing so far about being a professional snooker player? Just the, like being able to play in front of crowds and stuff like that. It's just you don't get that unless you're a professional. Let's move on then to talk about Neil Robertson, who's obviously been a big influence on your career. Do you remember him winning the World Championship 2010? Um, I remember him winning it because uh, the same year he came over and did an exhibition when the junior national titles were on for snooker in Melbourne in, I think it was July. So he'd brought over the trophy and he was doing an exhibition in the Eureka Tower, which is the tallest building in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, And he did an exhibition on the 89th, floor of that building and I got picked to go and play a frame with him and that's when I first met him Um, and just being associated with Vinny Calabrese who used to be on tour like he was a very close mate and that connection kind of was the reason why of me me getting with like close with Neil and him. So playing that one frame exhibition against him that was the start of everything was it did you chat to him then about maybe coming over to the UK uh, no nothing no nothing really I just played the frame and obviously it's just it's just uh, it was like huge just to be able to get picked to play him 
Um, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing came of it um, really until I was 17, and I came over to England um, just for oh, about a couple of months. And a friend of mine um, was over from Australia, so I went to London with him one day. And Vinny called up and said Neil was away, and why don't I come over for a few days to the house? And uh, Neil was in Sangsum in the Six Reds in Thailand oh, yeah. at the time, um, and I went there for a few days. Neil came home. And Neil said, um, "He's like I, he could." Sorry, Neil said that I can stay for however long, and I ended up staying for four months. Just fantastic to yeah. get that support from a top player. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, yeah, it was crazy. I, I never kind of like dreamed of being able to get even knowing him. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of, yeah, crazy. Really, I was only seventeen, and yeah, I loved it. He himself has talked about how hard he found it adjusting to life in England. So what was it like for you? Um, I mean, for me, it was obviously having Neil. Um, it was like like Neil and the, the family. It was like, I don't know, like my second family. Mm. So it was nice to have that. Um, but obviously at the same time, like I missed my family back home. And like I'd, I had my nan here at the time, but other than that, I didn't have anyone. Mm. Um, so I'd come over for the four months and sometimes just get a bit lost um but obviously that's the um the commitment with snooker like you have to be able to go away and be able to play and not worry too much about like what's going on at home or like with everyone that's just the commitment you make when you want to be a pro snooker player one thing neil did to help himself settle in england was get into the football and found a team in chelsea as he dragged you into all that do you know what we went to it we used to go to a few chelsea matches um, but I mean, I've always been an Arsenal fan. Oh, like, I'm not. Good man. I'm not like a, a huge follower at the moment. But yeah. like, I've never not supported a, Arsenal. I've started supporting Arsenal in 2000 when I kind of like started knowing about football, and I've always supported them. Never really like I'm not a diehard fan or whatever. But um, I always like kind of look at the results and I'll watch if it's like if I'm even a if I'm if I'm at home and maybe the TV's on or whatever. I'll watch it, but not a diehard fan. But I do like. I prefer Arsenal. I'll never not support them. Well, some pretty good results to watch <laughs> yeah, in, in, in recent yeah, times. Yeah, well, Joe's a massive fan of Arsenal. I know, yeah. So, yeah, yeah no, we, there's a few. We've got like a, a few of us that are Arsenal fans. So, yeah. How's it been overall, would you say then, Ryan? Very early stages in your pro career. Has the experience been what you hoped it would? Even yeah. aside from the results, just the life? Yeah, I mean, I've loved it. Obviously, like my mum and dad have always been like massive supporters of me getting on tour and like it was just huge getting on and I mean, I've always enjoyed going to tournaments, like obviously to the amateur game, going to amateur events and you go into these clubs, it's great. But when you start like being a pro, coming to like, events like this is just, yeah, it's just crazy, like the difference. And I just, yeah, I love it. No matter like the result, I still, I don't take the, like I try and stride off the defeat instead of kind of dwindling on it these days as well. So like I just try and enjoy it. And if I play well, I play well. Like, yeah. So, and you've played on a big stage before at the World Cup, representing Australia. What was that like? Uh, yeah, it was great. Um, I didn't really play as well as I wanted. I did win like a, a few frames against some of the like top boys as well, a couple of the pros. Um, but I played on table one against Williams and Day, and obviously that didn't go as well as I planned. But I played better against. We played um, uh, the Chinese on one table as well, um, and it's a great experience. I played the Sang some playing like Ding and um, a couple other players in my group 
and that was like great experience as well but I, I love it I like any kind of stage like this it's 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 awesome to just be able to be a part of it and when you ask players what they ultimately think they can achieve in the game Ryan they always say I want to be a tournament winner I want to be a top 16 player but let's say before you maybe get to that stage three or four years from now where do you feel you can be uh I kind of always had the target of just this season alone just to kind of get into the top 80 that was my goal um which is just achievable three to four years time obviously I just want to be in the top 64 I it's. I want to be higher than that. Obviously, everyone does. But to put such a um, a big like stamp on trying to get to top sixteen or tournament winner, I'd rather just kind of get into the top sixty four than worry about that when I'm in the top sixty four. Um, so that's my target at the moment: top eighty, end of next season, top sixty four, and then hopefully, you never know, push on. Yeah, steady building, isn't it? You've got to yeah, take steps just, along the way. I just don't like to like put too much stamps on trying to get into the top 64 it's just it's some t- sometimes it can just put too much pressure on yourself and I'd rather just turn up to tournaments enjoy it and try and play as well as I can and see you're 28 years of age now maybe 20 25 years ago you would have looked at that and said oh it's too late to be starting now he hasn't given himself enough time to make it but it's a very different scene now isn't it you see players not even reaching their peak maybe until their 40s yeah, like I mean, thirty-five is like the new sixteen. I think yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's crazy um, in a way, but in a way, it's also helping the game because it gives more opportunity to the older uh, generation that want to start in their early twenties, and even just just uh, anyone just that wants to play in a club, they'll see that these guys are still playing when they're forty, and maybe they might pick up a cue when they're thirty and try and play, but. No, maybe not be a professional, but just try and play the game. Um, but yeah, I don't see age as a an issue for me. I like I said, I didn't start winning any tournaments in Australia until I was like twenty, twenty one, and obviously anyone looked at that. Everyone else was sixteen when they were going pro, but nowadays it's it, no one really cares about age anymore. And how much better do you feel you need to become to really establish yourself on the circuit? Are you pretty close to the level in practice and it's just now about trying to bring it out in matches or do you feel you need to become a fundamentally better player? Um, I feel as if I've got the the right like I'm almost at the right game to play like I'm not too flamboyant and I'm not too kind of held back um, but I think it's more about structuring your practice and having that um, kind of uh, being strict in your practice and then bringing that to matches and not kind of changing your game, that's kind of where I feel as if at the moment I'm kind of struggling, whereas I need to structure my practice better, which I have been now the last couple of months, and practicing the stuff that actually needs to be practiced, not just practicing anything. Um, Because I feel as if, like, anyone on tour can play the game, like, can make hundred breaks. They're, they're they're there for the reason, um, but it's more obviously the top boys do it in and out every tournament. Like they can just click and they make hundred. And that's uh, what people don't realise, is it? Because they see someone producing a couple of good breaks and playing well in one match and thinking, oh, this guy's going to be a star. But that's the difference, isn't it? Doing yeah, it regularly, yeah, doing year it in regularly, year out. like tournament after tournament. Like as at the moment, like Alan, you, you mm. see him playing, like. Yeah, he had like a bad spell in the final, but then all of a sudden it just comes and it's being able to produce it when it's when it counts is where the difference really is. Like some of these obviously the positional play is a big one, but a lot of the balls that people pot are the same as what everyone pots. It's just who can 
basically positional play and who can do it all the time. And for you, all eyes now on the Welsh Open. You qualified for that by beating Andrew Paget. As we sit here, we don't yet know who you're actually going to play in your first match there, but it's a chance again to play at a well-known venue, to play in one of the oldest tournaments in the world, and that in itself is just so exciting. Yeah, I mean, I prepared really well for that match, and I felt I went into Barnsley a few days early as well, um, had good practice there. I just felt a lot better when I played, um, and now I'm playing in Landed now. I've been there, like, like I said, I've been there with Neil for another tournament before, but I know how good like the crowds are at the Home Nations when you actually qualify. Um, so I'm really looking forward just to hopefully playing well and trying to win another match or two and see how it goes. It's all steps along the way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's been great sitting down to talk to you about your life and career yeah, so far, Ryan. As we've said, you're just at the beginning of it and we wish you the very best. Thank Thanks you. so much for joining no us on the World Snooker Tour thank podcast. You. Next time, it's the former world champion, John Paris, including memories of how a change of cue set him on the way to crucible glory. I had three shots with it, and I knew that was, I just went, this is just unbelievable. I went back, I played with it the first tournament, I went to Ireland, I played Steve and lost in the final, 9-6 in the final of the Irish Masters to Steve. But I knew I was very close to playing great. And from that period then to when I went to Sheffield, is the best period of snooker I've ever played in my life. I was, I was just, I was practicing, and honestly, it was scary. I was making six, seven, eight hundreds on the spin. It was just like I was playing unbelievable. I was so confident in the queue, everything was good. I was fresh. I hadn't been burnt out. It's not like the other seasons where I'd played and had good tournaments. So that's coming up next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast. And don't forget our bonus content, the one four seven, rounding up the week's snooker headlines in one hundred and forty seven seconds out every Tuesday and available to download at wst.tv. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.